The following program was brought to you by Yolokali, keeping it weird since 1997. Oh, who's that? Who are you? You're not allowed to be in here. Hey, yo, somebody get their grandma. Huh? Ah! Ah! Nah, you gotta do it like this. What's Up is back with another two hours of fully youth-produced content, tapping into the matters and concerns of youth in Chicago. As well as all the crazy, wacky, tea-sipping, gossip-spilling, weird shenanigans that we, youth, get up to. Listen to your own risk, because your mind might explode. The chances are low, but never zero. So strap in, and let's get into the show! Hi, you are listening to WLPN LP Chicago, 105.5 FM Lumpen Radio, broadcasting live from Studio B here in Bridgeport. This is What's Up, Season 20. Today, your show, Your Body, Your Way, The Overturning of Roe v. Wade. We are here with Yolo, Isha, Melissa, and Kayla. Today's show is going to be about the recent overturning of Roe v. Wade and what it entails about abortion, the right to privacy, and other rights to liberty. We especially focus on what it entails for the state of Illinois and neighboring as well as the effects of the LGBTQ community. Stay tuned for our interviews with Planned Parenthood, Diana Ariano Gonzalez, a reproductive justice activist, and Jay, who co-led the sexual health and wellness campaign Prepararte Prep for Cook County Research, plus some community members. Let's start, Melissa. With the recent overturning of Roe v. Wade, we felt that it was obviously important to talk and learn about how this is going to affect our communities in the long term. And so what communities will be affected because of this overturning? Well, a lot of like communities are part of the low-income community, the LGBTQI community, and as well as people who have reproductive organs. So in general, like believe it or not, probably like everyone will be affected because of this. And before Roe v. Wade, there were also like 25 other cases that were on on abortion and related issues, though Roe v. Wade is like considered the most popular or well-known today. Let's get some background on Roe v. Wade. The case began in 1970 in Texas when Jane Roe, who used a fake name to maintain her own privacy, took federal action against Henry Wade, who was the district attorney of Dallas County, Texas. The Supreme Court balanced a woman's right to privacy with the state's interest in regulating abortion. The 1973 ruling stated that um, restrictive state regulation of abortion was unconstitutional. However, the Supreme Court has said that Texas's state's statutes criminalizing abortion went against women's constitutional right to privacy, which was found to be implicit in the liberty guarantee of due process clause of the 14th Amendment. But what is the 14th Amendment and what does it protect? The 14th Amendment was ratified in 1868 and it granted citizenship to all people born or people who have citizenship in the United States, including former enslaved people and guaranteed all citizens, giving them a quote, of equal protection of the law. It should also be noted that Roe v. Wade has been challenged in the past. Planned Parenthood of Southern Eastern Pennsylvania versus Casey being a notable case which upheld the right to have an abortion. In the case, Roe v. Wade was challenged to the response of allowing people assigned female at birth the right to have a choice to have an abortion without having to consult their partner. Having to acknowledge the risks of having an abortion 24 hours prior to following through and having minors have 
one of their parents have consent when getting an abortion, or if it was not possible, the minor must have had obtained a judicial bypass, which means going to court and getting a judge's permission to get an abortion from court. Most recently, Roe v. Wade was overturned about a month ago, in June of 2022. So, I have a question for you guys. So, like, what's your personal opinions on the overturning of Roe v. Wade? Personally, um, I was a little bit against it because I've always been very pro-choice. But I, um, but I definitely understand how the Supreme Court, given who's been seated on, who are the, ju- um, who are the justices right now, um, how the decision was overturned with the leaked draft that it happened to. Yeah, I was honestly very upset when it happened, thinking about all the people that were going to be affected, especially low-income communities and teenagers who basically should have the right to have an abortion because they have, like, lifelong ahead of them. And sadly, sometimes, like, these kids, well, like, it's not like it's, like, their fault, but not allowing them to have these abortions can pause them from so many opportunities that they could have in the future, like, you know, having these milestones with themselves, like being independent. And then once they are like, you know, destined and feel that they can be this parent for a child, it should be their choice and they shouldn't be like not allowed to have it. Yeah, I agree. It was very triggering and upsetting for me to hear about this decision that was made. And um, I kept thinking about like all the people that are affected, especially teenagers and like people from the lgbtq community and i just think it's crazy because you know um many of us probably live in households where it's like um teen pregnancy is like you know um they don't they don't want us to have be pregnant when we're younger or whatever but it's like at the same time you're taking away our choice to have an abortion or a a choice to have um choice over our own body and it's it's crazy to me what were your thoughts melissa um so my thoughts were, I did see the draft. I wouldn't say, like, I read it, like, verbatim, because I, yeah, I'll admit that I didn't do that. Um, I get the I get the argument that they use that it was a federalist issue, meaning, like, it was the states who have that right. But at the same time, since the 14th Amendment does kind of protect it, I thought, like, it's a human right, so it shouldn't be up to the states to decide about, like, a human autonomy. I felt... Like, it's not fair, obviously. It affects a lot of people. Like, I heard, like, the recent thing from Ohio about the 10-year-old girl. Like, that's an awful thing to happen. And because of, like, no human autonomy, then you have to go through situations where, when it's traumatic for the family and the 10-year-old, and then you're in situations where you can't do anything. So that's one of the things. And because of that, we went around... And we asked people in the streets of Pilsen, and we interviewed them, and we asked them three questions. Um, The first two questions meaning that if they were aware of the Roe v. Wade um, overturning, and then we asked what it protected and if they knew anything more about it. So why don't we just play it? Yes. Can you guys say your names? My name is Lana Alzane. I'm Carolyn Saban. My name is Logan. Hi, my name is Robert Chavez. Are you aware of the recent overturning of Roe v. Wade? Yes. Yes. Yes, I am. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm not. Yes. So are you aware of what it protects? Can you explain? Birth control, contraceptives, um, any form of abortion, any sort of access for women's health care, I guess. 
anything under Planned Parenthood, basically, stuff like that. So Roe v. Wade insures, or what it said was an insurance to the ability to have an abortion, I believe. I can't remember if there was a certain time period at a certain point, but it ensured that the states were not able to prevent that from happening. It protects childbearing individuals and their rights to choose. Unfortunately, that's been overturned. Well, my understanding, it's beyond just like access to abortion. It's also right, like your bodily autonomy, protection, confidentiality with your healthcare provider, and now healthcare providers, if someone is trying to access abortion, now they have to be mandated reporters and report you to the state. So it took away the woman's right to get an abortion. That's what my understanding is. Oh, I heard about that. Mostly your right to abortion, although there are other things. Care in general for reproductive protection. And then I also believe there's something about privacy between doctors performing that sort of stuff and law enforcement. So, um, what did we think about this um, Vox Populi? Any thoughts about it? I was honestly really shocked when I first went out with, sorry, with Melissa. I, I guess like when I first, you know, it started, it was honestly like really cool to hear people's different perspectives on what they believed Roe v. Wade protected. Yeah, I was honestly very surprised when I heard the one guy that was like, no, I have no idea. I was like, oh, wow, that's surprising. Yeah, and I also think that's really interesting to see, like, the different groups of people um, and their input on it, especially, like, kind of like what you're saying. Like, this is a really big thing that yeah. just happened. Like, how do you, how have you not heard anything about it? How do you, like, not show interest or care about it? Mm-hmm. And I guess it just kind of goes to show that for some people, like, when certain issues, especially, like, the one that's happening in our present time, um, when it doesn't directly affect you, people, unfortunately, really do not care. And I think that's why it is so important for like young people and other people to like um make a point about it and go out and protest and like have those conversations even like it's as simple as having a conversation at your home you know because it's like you're talking about it and you're like informing um older generations as well that you live with what about you isha um i definitely agree with that it's so important to stay informed in today's day and age Um, and we have so many resources to access that information too that makes it even more surprising when people say oh i wasn't like i wasn't aware that this was happening or that was happening Um, at the same time though i have to agree if it doesn't affect you like why would some people care about that Mm -hmm. but i think that's a dangerous route to go along um, because at one point it becomes oh it doesn't affect me it doesn't affect me and we keep going and it only keeps affecting those same people and but it keeps affecting more and more people Mm -hmm. so i definitely think it's important to stay informed um what about you melissa um well yeah i agree with all you guys i think for me it's a little shocking that people don't know but at the same time like I could be very well like misinformed about something or unaware of it. I don't know. I guess the situation, and it's my opinion as well. Like I feel like everyone should at least have like a little general knowledge about what's happening. I don't know about you, Yola, but you and I went went interviewing. Um, I don't know if you would like to tell us like your interview experience, asking people like were people reluctant or not. Yeah, it was surprising because I remember me and Melissa going by uh, the jumping bing and being like, oh, I mean, like, it's like a pretty cool place. I mean, I'd expect people to be more open to being interviewed. And we went there and we asked like this group of like, I think it was like four or three people. And we were like, oh, would you like to be interviewed? And they were like, no, I don't really feel like being on air or like not on air, but just being interviewed and having that experience. I was like, oh, kind of shocked because it kind of like re- resurfaces the 
the importance of like not judging people when you see them first and like the places you go to you know which is pretty cool yeah yeah i mean from yeah because i mean jumping bean seems i mean there's always like people handing out flyers about protests or anything else so i'm just i was just surprised as well (laughs) you don't want to like speak about this which is like fine it's totally fine for you to do that um but you know i was just shocked um also, I didn't expect, like, one of the people that we interviewed, I think the dude, um, mm-hmm. I didn't expect him to accept, so I was also that he seemed really enthusiastic and helpful, so I appreciated mm-hmm. that. Um, we also bombarded, like, a person who was, like, in their home, mm-hmm. not inside, but, like, outside. Like, They're going to sh- take a yeah. smoke break. Yeah, (laughs) and they were also very willing to be interviewed, and I appreciated that. Um, Also, like, it helped us out, too. Mm -hmm. Um, We also, like, had conversations with people who were not from, like, Chicago. They were just visiting. So, yeah, I guess it's interesting to, like, know that a lot of people are aware of that. At least they were visiting, I guess, and surrounding Illinois. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're more aware about, like, I guess, more diverse perspectives on it. But right now, we're going to ask about if people believe their, you know, their own beliefs about abortion, of either they're pro-life, pro-choice, or, you know, they just don't care. But let's just hear that. Do you think abortion rights should be protected, yes or no, and why? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. I think it's definitely a women's right to choose, and I don't think that it's, like, under government jurisdiction for them to be making that decision for anyone. I also think it's very disrespectful to women to kind of generalize abortion and put everything under one kind of rule and ban it all at once because you never really know what someone's circumstances in some circumstances are. It's really hard to compare one woman being raped and not being able to survive giving birth to her child to someone who just got pregnant and wants an abortion. Both cases are valid and can get an abortion if need be. It's really just disrespectful of very predominantly male governments to kind of generalize that and ban it all just because they're not aware of what's going on and they kind of just want to use religion as their excuse for that. So I feel like it's not really up to them. In a sense, it's up to the women. Yes, they should be. It provides a safer choice. Um, If you look at history, you can see when there's been points where, you know, women have died or been murdered, who have, like, died from trying to, you know, make a choice for for themselves, I guess. That's how I feel, but at the same day, I have to recognize that I am a man, so I shouldn't really have an opinion of someone or some human, what they can do or can't do with their own body. Yes, absolutely. My body, my choice. (laughs) That's it. I do think a woman should have a right to make that choice, particularly, you know, when there's that case of the 10-year-old who was raped and then making her have the baby and all these type of things. So if they're going to force abortion, maybe they should force the second. You know, it's, it's a bigger picture for me. And, of course, this replacement period, theory has came out because 40% of women that get abortions are white women. So, I, as far as how it affects my community, the black community, it's not, it's not one of those issues that I feel like I need to fight for, yeah. right? Uh, because Illinois, as an Illinoisan, we still have the right for abortion. You're talking about how a woman can adjust her body and things like that. There's a cross between state and religion. What about those people who aren't Christian? It's kind of like this domino effect of them being able to make a a decision about a medical procedure because that's what abortion is, it's a medical procedure.
I'm not really for abortions. I just feel like that's a blessing from God. When you get those type of blessings, it's just something that you gotta, something better that you gotta do in life. Why take something away that, that God wanted on earth, right? The thing is, if you aren't ready for a child or just don't want that one, that's enough of a reason to get an abortion. If you don't want to take care of a child, then you shouldn't be a parent, you know? But also just because it's a basic human right. You're allowed to do whatever you want with your body and if you can't take care of a child or you don't want to or there's medical complications, then you just shouldn't have to because that wouldn't be fair to you or the child. Yeah, so what did we think? <laughs> um, well, there's some people I don't agree with. Mm -hmm. um, but, I mean, it's interesting seeing how... I wouldn't... I don't know if using the word divided is the best choice, but I guess, yeah, how people are 50-50 about it. Um, I guess for me, it's interesting just seeing, like, I am a pro-choice um, person, so... To me, it's a little weird, like, I guess the reasoning of some people. I think we also, like, when we were interviewing people, Yola, you brought up, like, the religious aspect of it. I don't yeah. know if you want to include that. So, you know, in this religion, the aspect of religion, the, the lady that we interviewed, she brought up a great point with what about people that aren't Christian? And in reality, this is a big point that needs to be brought up because for people that are Jewish and that follow, um, you know, Judaism, this really goes against their religion and what their book says it, it it completely goes against as with their idea of women it's like they're once the woman is pregnant the woman's life is like the top priority if the woman needs to get an abortion for her own health and it is necessary then it is with their religion to get it and the banning of abortion in a few states due to like state like you know like choosing um, is really affecting people that are Jewish because this is going against their religion. And what about them? Like, what are we going to do for them? It's like really disturbing and sad to think about because, you know, for people that are really re like religious, I'm really sure that this overturning like really has affected their daily, their daily life and thinking, oh, is it okay to do this? Like, you know, like to do the dirty, like, <laughs> like protected and stuff. Because there's still instances where people are protected and stuff and it they still get pregnant. It's and it's not even their fault. Like, come on. But yeah, it's like sad. I mean, yeah, and also going back to the religious aspect, like I guess there's always this philosophical que question about like when does life begin? Like mm -hmm. at conception or something. I mean, um like different religions have a different interpretations yeah. of it. So obviously I think a lot of our the people who are in government today um they hold this, like, I guess, I don't want to say they're Christian or anything like like that, but yeah. Um, but yeah, um, I think it's always really valuable um, to have these different perspectives. So we decided um, to have a conversation with a youth with Pro-Life Views. My name is Cyan and I'm 15. What is your view on the recent overturning of Roe v. Wade? We shouldn't be controlled that way. It's our body. How are you going to tell us what we can and can do with our body? Y'all not even going to be here in the next two years. So it's just like, how are you making long life decisions for women that you're not even going to be able to witness in three to four years? Could you tell us about what your beliefs are on abortion? If you just purposely let somebody ejaculate in you, that's where it should be at a limit. 
But if you're not ready to have a baby, you should also have the choice to get rid of it. Because I wouldn't want my child to go through a system that's not really good. Because if y'all really put it, child services is not really helping these kids for real. It's a lot of things that happen in these homes, such as rape, abuse, more verbally abused, and they're not really getting taken care of. And I wouldn't want my child to, yeah, I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want to give up somebody like that. And then, and the child gonna want to come find me and see who their real mother is. So it's just like, I wouldn't want to put somebody through that. Have you ever had an experience where people have a negative reaction because of your beliefs? I talked to my dad about it. He agreed to what I was saying too, because he also feel like that way because really speak on somebody that's close to me who had multiple abortions well it wasn't really like as her choice but i really feel like she's not able to have kids she didn't get multiple abortions when she wasn't ready i feel like those times kind of saved her life and when she was going through a lot of stuff she was also pregnant going through these stuff and abortion kind of saved like half of it because children are expensive especially when you have them at a young age you barely can take care of yourself so it's like you having another human being being there it's just you can't take care of it. So why try to keep it coming? You can't take care of it. At what point, if all, do you feel people should be allowed to have abortions? People should have abortions when they're not ready to have a baby. If you happy that you're pregnant, okay, keep your baby, take care of your baby. But I feel like if you're not ready to have a baby, you should have the choice, adoption or abortion. And it's like in different countries, I read stories on how little girls such as my age and younger than me was getting raped and forced to have babies. Where is their justice that did? Because what they didn't want to have is the baby. They should be able to abort the child. When do you believe life begins? I believe life begins. I really don't feel like life has started, honestly, because it's just too much going on at the time. And it's certain things that people that I believe that people don't believe. I just don't believe life has started for me. It don't feel real. The world don't feel real to me. It's like this dream that I'm stuck in, if that makes sense. Do you believe that people should have access to abortion? I do believe that. If you just letting somebody ejaculate to you and then, oh, I'm gonna get an abortion just to get it. No, you should have a limit because you're purposely letting somebody ejaculate. Abortion is for people that is not ready or that has like reasons behind it. But if you just purposely doing it and you can take care of the child, no. As far as like being raped or you can't take care of the baby and stuff like that, they could be able to access abortion. Do you believe men should have the choice to abort their fetuses? No, this is my opinion. If you got the girl pregnant and the girl wants to keep the baby and you wants to get the baby aborted, if I was in that situation, what I'll do is I'll make an agreement with the person who doesn't want the baby, but I want the baby. We'll make a deal. Like, you can be on child support and we can do it from there. You don't have to be in the baby's life, but you still have to pay because this is your seed. You should have the right to tell me what I can and do with my body because you're not carrying my the seed for nine months and going through all the symptoms and anything. You're not doing the checkups. You're not doing the ultrasound. So you shouldn't really have a say what you want me to do with my body, no matter if it's your seed or not. Now, how do you feel about abortion being legal after the point where medical science has evidence that the unborn child feels pain y'all go the baby gives us pain nine months the whole nine months so where do we get justice that they're at because we still have to go through the pain whether we keep the baby or not because we still got to feel we got to throw up we got to get the cramps we're bleeding we're doing all this so where is our justice that with that so i feel like that's i'm not trying to curse but i feel like that's bs because 
Yeah, no. In my opinion, I don't really care for that. Either if I keep the baby or not, I'm still having to feel pain. The baby only feels that slight two seconds when they pulling the baby out your vagina and they're gone. That's just BS. They're trying to manipulate you into keeping the baby. Should we encourage women to view pictures of the results of abortion before they have one? No, because that's guilt tripping. It's not your place to tell a woman what she can and can't have an abortion. It's none of your business. As a doctor, it's not your business. If she came up in there to do just that, you agree with her, you're supposed to support her. You're not supposed to guilt trip her or manipulate her into thinking this is wrong when it's her body, her choice. So no, that's wrong. And I also, if this is off topic, but they do the same thing when vegans, they'll show you how way animals get cooked and they, they guilt trip somebody into being vegan. So that, no, because I'm gonna eat these if we avoid discussing abortion in public, does that help the men and women struggling with the past, present, or future abortion decisions? If I was to get an abortion, I feel like I would want somebody to talk to me before it happens or talk to me and giving me the rundown because you're always supposed to be planning on doing something, you do your research. Like, I wouldn't let nobody on the street like that's just saying BS tell me what to do. I'd rather go to the abortion clinic and get the information or get somebody who's really educated with the abortion policy and everything. People should at least get some knowledge before they do the procedure. Don't just go in with the procedure because I don't know if y'all seen them BBLs Dr. Miami had. Them girls just see what they view in their eyes and they BBLs just looking dirty. You should get some research and knowledge. Uh, we just heard a youth with a very different perspective. Um, what were your guys' thoughts? I honestly really liked how she touched up on everything that I thought was, like, important. And uh, Yeah, and I also thought it was interesting how, like, she's kind of having, like, an internal battle with herself. Like, either deciding is it, like, wrong or right. Um, which I get, like, maybe a lot of people experience. Mm-hmm. Um I thought that was really interesting about the whole guilt tripping part because um, that is very true to show um, people like pictures or different things to like kind of encourage them not to do it because it's like if somebody goes in to a place um, with an idea or they have um, something, a plan in place for what they want to do to change it up, um, that's wrong and that, that guilt trips them really bad. Yeah, and I totally agree with that. And that being said, um, so you just heard our interview with the teenager and also a lot of the Vox Populi. Um, this is just the first half hour, so expect us to be also for the next half hour as well. Um, but because of that, we'll take a short break and we'll be right back. back and you are listening to WLPN LP Chicago 105.5 FM Lumpen Radio broadcasting live from Studio B. This is Yellow on WhatsApp with today's show Your Body Your Way talking about the overturned Supreme Court case of Roe v. Wade. Next up we're discussing the overturning of Roe v. Wade with Planned Parenthood interviewed by Melissa and Isha. Planned Parenthood is a nonprofit organization that provides reproductive health care services in the United States and globally. We talked to a representative from downstate Illinois about the organization. So let's listen. 
So my name is Madison Angel. I use she, they pronouns, and I currently work as the Downstate Community Engagement Coordinator for Planned Parenthood of Illinois. Now we are just one affiliate of multiple affiliates. Um, you know, it's a nationwide kind of organization, nonprofit. To talk a little bit more about what I do with the affiliate currently. So first off, I really support patient navigation services. I do a lot of outreach in the community. So I'm at the tables, kind of at the front line whenever there's events and health fairs and those kinds of things going on. And I'm currently really just answering a lot of questions about access, services, how to make an appointment, you know, the best ways to kind of approach getting services at PPIL. Apart from that, I also manage, train, and recruit for our volunteer programs down here. So a couple of examples of those would be clinic escorting. It's a really big one. Um, these are volunteers that take about an hour or two out a week or a month, and they are kind of stationed at the health clinics and they're really helping people get in and out because, you know, we've seen an increase of um, anti-choice activity outside of the clinics. And while there's federal protections that keep our patients safe, keep our providers safe and keep them off our property lines, it's it can be really confusing and chaotic for people that are entering the clinics, you know, for all, all reasons, STI services, birth control, whatever it may be. So, and I guess the last thing that I'll kind of touch on related to the work that I do is I work with the campuses in the central and downstate area. So our generation action chapters, we have more than five or 10 in the state uh, across Illinois. Down here, I particularly work with Millican University, the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana, and the one in Springfield, U of I uh, Springfield. So we have kind of cohorts of students. These are peer-led groups. They're educating their other you know, peers and their other students on campus, even staff <laughs> come to, you know, their events. They're educating them on how to effectively use a condom, the different kind of birth control methods that are available, where to get plan B and emergency contraceptive. Like these are all related. So could you like give us, I guess, an outline of what services like Planned Parenthood provides and also your the programs you're involved in? Like what exactly goes, how does like a normal day look like? Something like that. I provide STI birth control education to several of the public and private school districts downstate. They also, the community engagement department and education teams upstate also do this for, you know, really big school districts as well. So education is a large part of what we do. It's built into our mission is to provide fact-based, inclusive sexual and reproductive health education. Another pillar of that mission is just the health services, right? So we are, through our clinics, we are offering comprehensive, inclusive healthcare services. We're offering counseling and education related to the services because there's always questions and we want to make sure all bases are covered and all of our patients feel 100% confident in making the decisions that they see are best for themselves. And then the advocacy kind of pillar to our mission is just there. And it really relates to our other two pillars, healthcare and education, because it's ensuring that our patients and our communities have access to the comprehensive education that allows them to make those really important decisions about themselves and their bodies later on. I would say a rundown of my day. We have a volunteer groups based all over the state, working in different areas, whether it be data management right now, helping screen for applicants at the clinics or actually scheduling and coordinating what time our volunteers are going out to support our patients. So uh, there's a lot of that. 
in my day-to-day kind of activities. Communication and updates on security and, you know, keeping the students that I work with informed on the day-to-day changes on the bands and, you know, what they can do to support the people in their communities as they're based all over the state and sometimes outside of Illinois, you know, on summer. And then we are bulking up and getting ready to train hundreds of people to be deployed out and, you know, rally, um, organize, and just really educate people in Illinois about what is still accessible and what is still legal. A lot of people are concerned that abortion isn't, you know, legal in some states or that it is, but we really want the community and the public to know that abortion is legal in Illinois and it is going to stay legal in Illinois. And we're taking in, you know, patients from all over the Midwest. Okay, so going off of health education, what are some stigmas that you've seen people have in regards to reproductive health care? The assumption that whenever they hear sex education or reproductive health education, they're assuming that we're only talking about sex or we're just talking about abortion. Sex and abortion are two highly stigmatized topics. Um, and while they're really important and based in our education programming, they're just small marks on like the pro- kind of programming that we have to offer. It's really comprehensive. We talk about gender. We talk about sexuality. We talk about about identity, we talk about relationships, consent, relationship management, healthy and unhealthy behaviors. We're really talking about programs and education across the board that affects all kinds of different health you know, needs that could happen in the future. So the biggest misconception is that we're only educated about sex <laughs> and abortion whenever we're really covering birth control options, STI um, testing and what, you know, having those conversations with your partner looks like. These are all really important to keep our community safe and healthy. And I know they're important to the youth that we you know, provide the education too. We get really great questions and we have the best conversations, you know, what is needed is just that space. So sometimes that can be a challenge. Furthering it, like, does it like really negatively affect like the way you provide health services? Um, I don't. I think that the general kind of intangible stigma that, you know, comes with talking about certain topics, it doesn't really affect the way that I approach my job. And I, I know it doesn't affect the spaces that I go into and the relationships that I build with people that are learning from me. I think it's really important that stigma comes from not knowing. It comes from fear. It comes from nervousness. It comes from tension, right? And as a sociologist, as a trained sociologist, sociologist, I know to approach these situations with lightheartedness, with fact-based information, and with just open arms, right, and open ears. No question is a dumb question, and that's really important to lift up as well. Like, people are really growing up and navigating in spaces that they have not been given any information or resources for. So just recognizing that all questions are good and, you know, making sure that everyone feels safe and um, confident in the spaces is really important. I guess my question would be like, so when you have like, I guess, events where people are kind of misinformed about certain notions, like how do you help them, I guess, educate them and inform them about like whatever misconception they might be incorrect on? There's a very strong line between heckling and harassment and like open and honest questions. So I am, I love, you know, a good conversation. I love an informed and respectful like conversation. And I'm always willing to listen and, you know, consider what someone else is saying. When the behavior or the conduct of the other person becomes hostile 
or, you know, that we look for red flags and we do regular trainings on what to look for whenever we know that line has been crossed. Then we invoke the non-engagement policy that we have in place. And we just tell them if they have more questions, look online. And if you have, you know, if you don't have anything else for me, then you can walk away. Like we totally you know, approve of that if that hostile line has been crossed. Obviously, you wouldn't give us like the exact numbers, but like a rough estimate, like how much abortions are facilitated or like, I guess anything like revolving about that topic is actually discussed. Generally, a question on both sides, (laughs) you know, pro-choice and anti-sides, like what is the abortion number? Typically, you know, last year we scheduled roughly 100 out-of-state patients a month. I can't really speak to exact abortion numbers, but I can speak to who's traveling in and out-of-state generally. We scheduled about 100 out of state last year. In the first week that Roe fell, we had like a sevenfold increase. So, you know, approaching 800 out of state patients within the first weeks and month. We also are accepting calls like completely, you know, high volume calls. So they've doubled since Roe has fallen. And we're anticipating 20 to 30,000 more patients. So this isn't just abortion patients, but patients in general as Illinois champions and kind of identifies itself as a haven for abortion. I think people recognize that we offer more services. They're recognizing that they can access them maybe more comfortably by, you know, coming over a few hundred miles or whatnot. So we're, we're seeing an increase in appointments across the board. A state of Illinois, like how exactly has it been impacted? Like you kind of already like mentioned it, but if we would like to go more like in depth about how it's being affected. You know? Yeah, so I can speak to how like we've prepared and we are expanding to take on those patients, you know, those 20 to 30,000 anticipated. So we're hiring all across the state. You can check out every health clinic in the state of Illinois, Planned Parenthood Health Clinic in the state, and you'll see we're hiring. We've also recently partnered with Wisconsin. So how dystopian is it for us to be in a world where you know people are licensed to practice in their state and the patients are there in their state but both are needing to travel state lines to provide and receive the care that's the reality of what's going on right now so we're trying to figure out how we can move patients and provide it as efficient and easiest you know low risk as possible we are staffing up in our health clinics but we're also expanding our volunteer programs to support that influx so we really hope to see you know, more uh, escort teams pop up as the anti-activity increases and in response to that. So I know you've talked about it a little bit with the other states being affected by um, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, but what does this mean for Planned Parenthood nationally as you move forward? It would be helpful to have like a national representative on to kind of speak to that. Nationally, um, just based off of our partnership with Wisconsin, while we are all separate affiliates, we are all working together to figure out where we can fit patients in. We haven't really seen we're just shifting, you know, need. So if there's a patient that needs a certain service but can't get it on this state line, I, there's going to be communication. We're going to see how we can provide that care on, you know, the other state line. I know that the Wisconsin partnership is super important because as we know, you know, neighboring states are emergency crisis levels. So I think the communication will increase between, you know, affiliates and hopefully there'll be more opportunities to build on the partnership that we already have in place with Wisconsin. I guess this is a very obvious question, but like how, I mean, I just, just for the sake of answering, like how are people affected with the recent overturning? It's devastating. You know, whenever the draft opinion was leaked, 
the the peak in urgency and kind of the fear that the bell was struck. So, you know, we get stories from patients that are traveling. Somebody, you know, somebody that's scheduled in Wisconsin a day before the decision came out, you know, showed up to their appointment and was denied care because, you know, providers are trying to not find themselves in legal battles with the state. Patients are going to, you know, forced to be traveled. They're going to be forced to travel thousands of miles and they're going to, and providers are going to continue to practice, you know, in fear or be forced to travel to practice legally, general fear in not only providing services, but getting the services, general confusion, because, you know, as states, you know, introduce and enact bans, people aren't going to have a common understanding of what's legal and what they can seek in their states. So I know that normally we think a lot about women's rights when we consider abortions and Planned Parenthood. How will men, other individuals and the LGBTQI plus community be affected by the overturning of Roe v. Wade as well? Abortion is not just a woman's issue. It's a person with the capability to have, you know, have a baby, to become pregnant. It's an issue for anybody with a uterus and the capability to have a baby. For people that are family members or related or friends with these people, it's also their issue as well. In Illinois, we offer gender-affirming hormone therapy. So whenever we're talking about it through the lens of escorting, these escorts aren't just there for abortion patients. They're, they're also there to provide that kind of guidance and just support for the patients that we take from the LGBTQ and you know non-binary patients as well from those communities. So when we're talking about abortion, people from non-binary or LGBTQ communities, becoming pregnant and being forced to carry that pregnancy can be endangering to them. It can out them in their environments or in their work environments, in their communities. It can put them in dangerous situations. So it's it's not only a personal health choice, human right, but it has reaching implications in that way. What are resources people can use if they're pregnant and not sure what to do? Okay, online we have some great resources. Medication, abortion, telehealth services are really expanding. So if you cannot physically, you know, get to a place, make sure you're looking at online options to get those medications shipped to you legally. We know there are just going to be barriers, though. And a really good example of this, you know, a movie that has come out over the last couple of years, even if the medication like Plan B is technically an emergency contraceptive, it's technically legal in all 50 states still. But even so, there is discretion in the small clinics in the rural healthcare deserts and at the pharmacies that people are picking these up at. So a good movie to watch is Plan B. It's on Hulu and it's a little bit lighthearted, but it really touches on the topic of what if my pharmacy denies my birth control, denies my plan B? Or what if, you know, legally I can seek an abortion under these weeks or this, you know, term and people are denying me, you know, these rights. So it, it paints a good picture of like what that travel looks like, the obstacles, the barriers, um, and just you know, boils it down to very small, like decisions of discretion. And to wrap everything up, um, what are like general places or for people to like actually research and have their questions answered about either their sexual health and like any reproductive, like I guess, questions? Okay, so Planned Parenthood of Illinois has a great, you know, line by line resource page on birth control choices, reproductive health, human anatomy, most of, 
An overview of most of what we provide in our education is given on that page. We also have an entire page dedicated to volunteering, what that looks like, how to apply. That's on ppil.org backslash volunteer. Um, ppil.org will have the resources. Follow us on socials. Just look up Planned Parenthood of Illinois or Illinois Action, and you'll find us on Facebook, Twitter. And we're back. You just heard our interview with Planned Parenthood. Um, any thoughts, guys? A good conversation that this person s- mentioned about um, this issue being um, also affecting LGBTQ members. Yeah. Um, I thought that was really insightful. Yeah, adding on to Kayla's point, you know, usually when you think about people having abortions, you think women. And in reality, it's not only the people that are being affected. You know, trans people can also have like abortions like anyone can generally have like well that's assigned female at birth obviously but yeah like you can have an abortion it's just like i think it's very disrespectful like kayla said that you know in this sense sometimes like we don't we're not open to the idea or some people aren't open to the idea that this can't be a thing you know what i mean but yeah um i also thought it was interesting like um i guess not necessarily like our whole point of the show obviously abortion but Mm -hmm. also the stigma behind like i guess planned parenthood in general how they're not just a facility that like facilitates abortions or anything Mm -hmm. they're like you know an actual place where they help you if you're if you have any um sexual like wellness questions or health issues and they can assist you if you are in need of other resources like birth control or other other stuff like that um you know they don't just serve one thing and it's probably like the minority thing about it and you know it's just interesting how a lot in like our political views or kind of centralized on the idea of what Planned Parenthood is and they kind of try to fit it into that notion but yeah I don't know what did you think Isha um for sure I really appreciate Planned Parenthood talking to us not only about abortions but their other services that they provide um I like for um on my part I didn't know that they gave so much um education in terms of reproductive and sexual health care I think that's really important especially with how um in certain parts of um even Illinois um uh, much more the country we have a lot of misinformation about sexual health care and um, reproductive health care like a lot of um, a lot of teens who are um, in their health education classes they don't actually learn um, a lot of what they should be learning in those classes um, and I think it's so so valuable that they have Planned Parenthood as a resource for this yeah I mean also continuing I also thought it was interesting like maybe not necessarily that but like how a lot of these places are also facilitating towards like universities like Mm -hmm. i'm a college student so i think that's like really helpful or interesting um to have like that type of resource i don't know about you guys yeah i agree especially like being a college student as well um i think it's important for all of us to remain educated about um these issues but also about like you know like just sexual health and um reproductive rights and different things like that um and actually following along on a similar note um a few sexual health and LGBTQ resources that um, many of us could check out is Project Vida. It's located in Little Village. Uh, services to individuals and their families impacted by HIV and AIDS, and they give out also free condoms. Another place is a center on Halsted. It's the largest lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender community center in the Midwest. Um, you can also support and find support through the Chicago Abortion Fund and financial support for those needing assistance paying for an abortion. 
Uh, another one is Scarletine. It's sexuality and relationship education website, articles, message boards, advice, live chat, and text, and it's free. Um, another location is Londale Christian Health Center. Um, they offer free pregnancy and HIV tests, free condoms, and welcomes. walk-ins are always welcome. Another resource for domestic and sexual violence is Mujeres Latinas en Acción, and uh, it's for domestic and sexual violence programs, intervention, court advocacy, and counseling. And they also um, offer a counseling in English and Spanish, and it's all free. Another resource is R-A-I-N-N. It's for the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, and it's the nation's largest anti-sexual violence organization. It's safe, confidential, and free as well. And for following resources for homelessness, there is Broadway Youth Center, and it's a space for LGBTQ youth 12 to 24 years old experiencing homelessness, housing instability, and also medical, social, and mental wellness services, and it's free as well. And another resource is New Moms, which is for housing for young mothers ages 18 to 24 and their children who are experiencing homelessness as well, plus family support services and job training. And in Yolokali's wellness resource, there's more resources for people ranging from sexual and mental health, voting rights, immigration, and more that can be found through Yolokali Arts Reach online platform. Yeah, well, thank you so much for those resources. Um, I don't know, guys, I guess... Since we're recapping everything for the first hour, are, do you guys have any like thoughts about it? Um, any thing you really wanna project on? Yeah, I think it's interesting to talk about like the resources that are given out and how they go hand in hand with you know Roe v. Wade, especially domestic violence. Kayla and I and Isha and Melissa and I were talking earlier when we were, you know, editing everything about how domestic violence goes hand in hand with this as well. You know, people like abusers in a sort of sense well in a sense they do uh, like use their kids like if they have a a kid with their partner they use the kid in order to keep the you know their doo-doo-doo. i forgot the word what do you mean <laughs> like the person they're abusing oh like keep them like i guess kept isolated yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I keep them isolated yeah. because when you have a kid you're more vulnerable into thinking like financial situation housing you know clothes it's like everything and I honestly think it's important that people stay knowledgeable because it's important for people to know about these resources they're really helpful thank you Kayla and another um, point to mention which I just came across my mind when I was looking through these resources which I think it's really interesting just in my personal experience um, I don't know if anybody else's family or you know generations things like this but I know for my family in specific living in a Latin household and stuff like um, a lot of my family members will like shame you know um, women or people in the family who like get pregnant at a young age or just get pregnant and stuff like that and it's like but then they're also the same people who are like oh yeah um, no abortion this and that like not having a right over your own body and I think that's really interesting because it's like how are you going to say one thing but then you're also the same type of person who will like kick out somebody who gets pregnant you know and it's like a lot of these things are really scary especially the younger you are and i just think that resources about like new moms and different like things for homelessness was very interesting and very helpful for people who need those yeah adding on um to the young mothers thing i mean i have a personal experience where like um someone came up to me was just forcing this idea that it's better to get like pregnant when you're younger 
And it's like the same people, like, I mean, my mom's like a teen mom. She got pregnant with my brother at 19. And like, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's the same people that literally, like, in a sort of sense, like, shun her for it in the sort of way that they talk about it. Like, I remember when my brother was 18, we were like at a family event and they were like, oh, isn't he 18? Like, that's a more, one more year. He can do it. It's like, okay. But yeah, I was just like, bro, it's like crazy. But yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I agree with all of that. And yeah, the importance of resources and having aid and support and like communities mm-hmm. definitely brings like, you know, if you have an issue, it and it enforces it and it enlightens it. Um, with that being said, this is What's Up, Season 20, Episode 2, Your Body, Your Way, and The Overturning of Roe v. Wade, Lumpen Radio, and we'll be right back. Welcome back. We're about to start the second hour of this show, What's Up? Your Body, Your Way, the overturning of Roe v. Wade through WLPN, LP, Chicago 105.5 FM, Lumpen Radio, broadcasting live from Studio B. Next up, we're, we have a special segment from Sid Volush um, from the June 26, 2022 rally um, for abortion. Sid Volush was a former What's Up student and is now a Lumpen uh, Radio producer. Let's get listening. Abortion is health care, health care is a right. This is one of the chants we heard as hundreds came to Federal Plaza to rally for abortion rights this past Friday evening, June 26th. After murmurings of a Supreme Court ruling being released, organizers prepared for an emergency protest to be triggered on the day of. Early that Friday morning, the news came. Lumpen caught up with some members of the community at the rally, including CTU members, one of the organizing co-sponsors of the protest. Hi, I'm Terry Rudd. What made you come out here today for this protest? Well, sit on the Women's Rights Committee in the Chicago Teachers Union, and we have always fought for women's rights and their power to choose, you know, so that's why I'm here. And I think that this um, Supreme Court decision is an attack on women, a continual attack, right? So that's why we have to be out here and we have to win other workers to be out here too, men, women, black, Latin, Asian, all people to see that this is an attack on our class and that we have to do something about it. My name is Morel Rivera. I'm a teacher at Walter Payton College Prep. Um, as a brown mom to two children and I have a daughter, I never thought that I would see this day come. And as someone who teaches AP government, I think it's just been this entire year, you know, my my female students specifically um, have just been disillusioned by like political processes and 
like this lack of trust and belief in the federal government, especially with what's been handed down today by the, the Supreme Court. Um, I think it fueled this fire and one, like, this disappointment. And as someone who teaches um, young women, um, and I encourage people to, to speak their truth and always, especially against um, or when human rights are being violated, like, I think that ignited this passion to come down today and, and be here with, with the people and with the CTU. You know, I hope more people come out. It's really, like I said, just really disappointing um, these last couple of years. And my students, you know, at the beginning of this year, I had them kind of do like this this project in which they identified an issue that they really cared about. And almost every female student talked about abortion. I'll walk, yeah, we'll walk. Okay. I'm getting used to it. I know. So what's your name? Go ahead and introduce Delmarie Cobb. I'm actually working a campaign, but I came out here because I knew it was an important issue and that um, we had to show our strength because we're in a really uh, desperate place right now. Where do you kind of place the importance of like Chicago organizing and all these networks have? And what does that mean to be able to put this kind of protest how important it is? Oh, it's really important because um, we knew the decision was going to come down, right? So why wait till the last minute? I think um, the organizers of this did a really good job at, at foreseeing that it was going to come. We knew it was going to come, so why not? Why wait till the last minute to organize? And I think. Since I have been involved with the, the CTU, the Women's Rights Committee, this is the largest one that, yeah, that I've been to. That's incredible. Yeah, so I think the organizing part was kind of key to get more people out here. In, in my experiences with, with organizing, I'm also a delegate in my building. Um, organizing is tough, but I think based on the response today, it's been so quick. I was hopeful that someone was gonna, you know, like I was like, oh my God, there has to be some type of protest. And the city of Chicago is, is so unique. Um, the response um, to human rights violations and injustices, I think the, the ability to mobilize a massive amount of people is very unique to the city of Chicago. Um, and I've just been super impressed with what has been able to Organizing is tough, especially when you're thinking about like microcosms of like school buildings, right? But like to see people from across the city hope bring some type of, I'm not gonna say joy, cause today is not a joyful day, but like some hope, right? That's something I always try to leave my students with is like there has to be some type of hope, especially when you have these, these types of violations against women and their bodies. Um, you know, resistance is, is very important. And to remind people that yes, today really sucks, but there's always power with our voice and with our vote. Well, we were just talking about how great it was to send something out midday and to have this kind of turnout. And this is the same kind of response we're gonna have to have for the November election. Yesterday with the guns, the guns.
non-issue today with this uh, Roe versus Wade of why we cannot pick and choose our elections. The Republicans don't give up. They don't give up when they win and they don't give up when they lose. And that's how they've gotten this far. They've been chipping away and chipping away and chipping away. There was no denying the energy in the crowd as people gathered around Federal Plaza. Well, politicians stepped up and gave speeches, such as Governor Pritzker, who loudly pronounced to the right-wing politicians celebrating this decision, get your boots off the neck of women. The amount of people speaking, connecting, and gathering with each other meant that little was heard unless you were up close at the front. Instead, cheers waved through the crowd, signaling to the back when a great call had been made. Tablers handed out green stickers with pro-choice messaging, and people continued to fill in long after the set start time, in spite of all the traffic blockades. So the protest rally at Federal Plaza has turned into a march down the Airborne heading north. You can hear the chants in the background as the crowd begins to move forward. There are still cops attempting to blockade, but it appears the crowd has been able to find momentum and actually move forward. Most of the signs around here we can't actually read on air, but some noticeable ones where my mom's already marched for this 50 years ago. My body, my choice. I just hope that one day I have as many rights as a gun. I love someone who had an abortion. One of the organizing groups actually distributed those signs. Just as notable as the signage was the incredible diversity of the people holding them. Families with young children swinging in the arms of their parents. Groups of teenage friends marching in stride. Older women who let the crowd know that they had already been through this decades ago. I watched as photojournalists clambered to the top of the Red Line Station awnings along, along State Street to archive those who'd showed up. In the past weeks since this ruling has come out, and all those people marched, several states' trigger laws have gone into effect. Will the laws restricting or banning abortion passed in those individual states, they were never effective until Roe v. Wade was overturned. The providers such as Planned Parenthood have been preparing for this possibility. Planned Parenthood in Illinois has already been spread thin in recent years, according to Block Club Chicago reporting, as nearby states have clamped down on reproductive health care and more people had to travel in Illinois already. The president of the organization has stated that they could see double to five times as many out-of-state patients coming to Illinois now for abortion care. On July 8th, President Biden announced an executive order on abortion rights, though experts say there is no action that the president can take to restore the nationwide right to an abortion in the wake of the Supreme Court's ruling. With the fear and anxiety palpable in the air that day, I ended each of my conversations with the women that we spoke to asking what was one thing that kept them hopeful in spite of everything. The thing that keeps me hopeful is seeing people out here that are angry about this attack and that they want to do something about it. So that keeps me hopeful that people want to continue to fight. And as long as we continue to fight, hopefully things will change, right? Because I, I think the more people that are out on the streets, the more people that understand the issues that 
you know, fighting is the only thing we have. And, and that's how history changes. Doesn't change not necessarily through politicians, it changes by average working class people. It's the only thing that keeps me going, to be quite honest. It's literally the only thing that keeps me going, um, especially in teaching government to, to young people, right? I think um, there's been a lot of like apathy, political apathy, right? Especially when you're someone who might be more like liberal leaning and you see something like this happen and you're just like, God, this is, I wanna leave, right? Like, no, don't leave. You, you, you show up, you show up every day, you call, you call people at the, at the city level, the state level, the federal level, you have to use your voice and just remind people that there is power. Power in numbers, empowering the people. Well, the one thing that's giving me hope is that this kind of enthusiasm continues, because that's what has to happen. And if we don't see the same kind of level of enthusiasm continue, not just to the general, I mean, it's gotta continue moving forward. Uh, we will look up and they will take all of our freedoms away. I mean, I heard a, a elected official say the other day, all of our problems stem from women working. So that tells you the mindset of the people who are on the opposite side of what we're on. And they're not going to stop. And what gives me hope? The resilience getting to speak with these incredible brown and black women taking on their fight. The neighborhood organizing going on around Chicago right now that is ensuring that not only can the city be a safe haven, but that as many people as possible are educated in abortion health care, administration, and watching out for one another. Regardless of what goes on, your community is your biggest resource and your home. For more information on how to find a trusted abortion provider near you, you can go to abortionfinder.org, which is a verified searchable database that doesn't include anti-abortion clinics like common Google search. For more information on resources regarding travel and logistics, you can visit the National Network of Abortion Funds at abortionfunds.org. Stay safe and take care of each other. My name is Sid Baluch, and this has been a Lumpen Radio special report on the abortion rights protest in March at Federal Plaza on June 26th in downtown Chicago. And with that, we'll let one of the March chants have the last word on this. And we're back. You just heard an interview with Sid Valuch on the June 26th uh, rally. But right now, we have a special guest. We're interviewing Jay, who co-led the sexual health and wellness campaign Preparate for Cook County Research. Hello, we're very excited to have you here. If you could just, like, you know, introduce yourselves, your title, your pronouns, sure. and all that. The project Preparate was a collaborative effort, so there wasn't really a lead. There was, like, maybe 12 or 15 people that kind of collaborated for about a year on this project that finally launched this spring, uh, just in time for Pride. 
Uh, we're on the CTA, social media, everywhere, YouTube videos. Um, but to introduce myself, like you asked, uh, my name is Jay Saxon. Uh, I've used they, them pronouns, identify as genderqueer, queer Latinx person of Bolivian descent. And I'm excited to talk to you guys today about the intersections of like LGBTQ, sexual wellness, kind of like overall health wellness and kind of like this political crisis that we're currently experiencing. Awesome. And could you tell us more about your work with Preparate Prep for Cook County? Yeah. So um, I started the collaborative when I worked at the Center in Halstead, which you guys mentioned earlier in the program, mm -hmm. uh, the largest LGBTQ center in the Midwest. I worked there on a program called The Hub, which was a resource for people living with HIV or vulnerable to HIV throughout the Chicago metro area. And I was provided a perspective on my experience in public health for the last 10 years. Uh, prior to that, I worked at Planned Parenthood for three years as a medical assistant, providing direct care and counseling. And just generally, I'm really invested in the LGBTQ community and like sexual health communities and keeping um, our communities safe and healthy. What are your thoughts on reproductive health care and education provided for it? For Preparate? Yeah, so uh, the, our approach was to kind of provide uh, a bilingual approach to informing people on how to destigmatize uh, pr uh, protecting themselves from HIV, uh, mostly through the use of PrEP. Obviously, the, the title is Preparate. So PrEP is pre-exposure prophylaxis therapy to prevent the transmission of HIV through a once-daily pill and now an injectable that you can do every three months or every two months uh, to basically create a... Uh, prophylactic shield around the molecular cells in your body to keep the virus from entering your cells. Uh, this is a technology that um, is utilized by antiretrovirals that people who have HIV can take to stay healthy and to keep the virus from replicating in their body once they've already contracted it. But we found that if someone who does not yet have HIV starts taking it every day, it provides a molecular shield from getting the virus, you know, even if they're exposed, even if they have a, a, an exposure, that the, the HIV virus has no place to enter the body because there is a molecular shield. And that technology could be used for any kind of virus if we have if we spent the money and research to do it. Um, it's just sort of like it took uh, decades of research and, and activism to get that medicine developed to keep people from um, uh, getting uh, an infection that led to AIDS uh, and most like most often death. I have like a question more about like the work. Like, who is it targeted for? What's yeah. the mission statement of it? Preparate is uh, is specifically uh, Latinx inclusive in terms of like cultural awareness, obviously the bilingual uh, Spanish language, uh, because uh, there have been multiple initiatives, obviously mostly in English, uh, some that have targeted the, the black community, southwest sides in the city. But we wanted to do a, a campaign that specifically targeted Latinx folks, some of who are monolingual Spanish speaking, some who don't feel like maybe not the most culturally represented in media that is meant to affect and persuade them into how to protect themselves in terms of making that uh, sexual health information accessible and relatable. Um, and one of the things we used was to use um, kind of like video diaries styles, like people talking to like the camera doing like kind of like TikTok, Instagram real uh, shape videos where they just talk about their experience with HIV, they talk about their experiences with PrEP, they talk about their experiences with their sexual health and their identity, both in terms of sexuality and also their Latinidad. So how all that intersects in our communities and our very narrow slice of the community. But for us, we need to see that representation to feel more comfortable and accepting that, you know, taking a daily medicine can be a really powerful way to protect uh, and honor your health in um, an intersectional way. 
Oh, uh, yeah, that is super interesting to hear about. Thank you. Um, I know you mentioned that your past job was with Planned Parenthood. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so I worked at the Worker Park location, which is on uh, the Polish Triangle um, North, no, sorry, Division, Milwaukee, and Ashland. I worked there from 2015 to 2018. Um, I was the only person who worked there that was not a cis woman, and most of my colleagues were women of color. And that maybe was like the most um, impactful experience in my life, uh, kind of like working with people who I considered family and people who felt really passionate about um, the health of our community. Our, our clientele was often, our patients were very often women of color, often immigrants, some were monolingual Spanish. And my experience there as a person of like gender diversity, um, a lot of my patients immediately read me as cis male which often led to some friction at first because most people did not expect that kind of person in a patient setting to be talking about their most intimate details and talking about their their anatomy, their sexual health, and just kind of like having those conversations with someone that wasn't a cis woman. Mm-hmm. Um, I, out of thousands of patients, I only maybe had like one complaint the whole time just from someone who really did not want to speak to me. And I honor that because everyone has their own boundaries. But I felt like for me, it was generative for people to kind of have those conversations with someone that that they felt like wasn't the person they always have those conversations with. And it allowed me to have a perspective on like a gender experience that is not my own and to understand that like what does it really mean to navigate this world um, from that level of power and autonomy and often empowering people to honor their choices, their decisions, their ideas, um, and their needs in ways that they often maybe don't always center because of the way our our world is shaped. And how do you see the needs of our black, indigenous, people of color communities in regards uh, to sexual education and reproductive health? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question that way because I think that um, a lot of new language and new inclusivity does a lot to try and kind of bridge really underserved communities historically. It's just a lot of that does have to usually come from people within that community to feel relatable and honest and sincere. It's just because of the lack of inequities for so long that it's harder to find those people in higher numbers to be able to have that level of impact. But there are initiatives, especially in the city of Chicago, to make that those conversations as equitable as possible because people from... Um, from those communities are often underserved and under resources, definitely in terms of lack of information, lack of financial resources, and lack of community support. Um, And we need to serve them as much as we can from the resources that we have to share. Yeah, and I guess now, like, you know, as you know, like our center of the show is more about the issues about Roe v. Wade, the overturning. I guess my thoughts as, like, a person who was, like, a medical assistant as well, like, what are your thoughts about the overturning of Roe v. Wade? Yeah. So um, one of the last things I did for Planned Parenthood is I went to go meet with the senators of the state of Illinois, Durbin and Duckworth, to kind of have a roundtable discussion about the appointment of Brett Kavanaugh. He was still being reviewed by the Senate and had not yet been approved. But that conversation left me reeling because it was not an if Roe v. Wade would be overturned, it was a when. That conversation was in 2018, and it only took four years for um, this kind of like right-wing apparatus to install enough judges to move this line across the finish line for them, uh, something that took 50 years for them to achieve, they did achieve. 
it is only the start of this new era of um, right-wing Christo-fascist takeover of our government from every level, from local school boards, library boards, uh, local elected offices, legislatures, state legislatures, to the Supreme Court. And um, the current uh, administration, presidential and Congress, is not doing enough to abate it. Um, and it is going to result in the repeal of much more than Roe v. Wade. It's going to result in the, the repeal of Oberfell, which uh, got gay marriage. It's going to create so many privacy um, precedents that will allow states to criminalize gay sex. Um, and it will unleash... It has unleashed. It's you know you know we heard the march earlier. I was there. Um, people are upset. People don't know how to channel that anger into energy that can actually move the needle because a lot of people in power aren't willing to do push come to shove to actually protect people and honor the votes that they got to do what they the job that they were due to protect our rights. They're not doing it. They're not doing it. Mm-hmm. And. I guess now tackling this issue like more specifically, like how does it affect like BIPOC communities? How does it affect the LGBT community or, you know, just low income marginalized people? The more margins you navigate, the more this is going to come down on you. The less power and money you have to navigate to a different state, to a different city, to, you know, people who work from home navigate the world differently from people who work service jobs um, are out in the streets who work in the public sector. Um, it is difficult because I think that a lot of the things that we witnessed when everything kind of happened overnight with the George Floyd protests in 2020, how everyone was in the streets for a solid month, a few weeks, and then suddenly everyone stopped showing up. You know, it wasn't like, you know, it was like within a few weeks, people stopped going. People felt like, well, we made a show. That was kind of what we were there to do was we were there to say what we wanted. And somehow that resulted with the police getting like billions of dollars more instead of like any kind of significant change. I think what's happening now is that um, people with more privilege, people who navigate whiteness and protections are waiting for people with more margins to do to, to go to the streets first, to get in the line of fire first, to get um, abused by the police first, because they aren't they're the last in line to be affected by these policies. Mm-hmm. So they're last in line to do something about it. And I guess, I don't know if you guys want to ask more questions. Yeah. I'm following afterwards. um, With Illinois being an island state, how will it be impacted due to the recent overturning? So I am grateful that there are a lot of people in Illinois at every level of government trying to create as many protections as possible to keep Illinois afloat. But if things keep going the way they're going, there will probably be a national abortion ban within the next few years, which will be very hard to enforce. Um, but there are a lot of people in this state that even though they're fighting the good fight now, may not necessarily be fighting the good fight then. Our current mayor has made a lot of uh, public speeches about the importance of keeping Chicago and Illinois, obviously, because she's the mayor of Chicago, a, 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 a haven for people to come and access abortion care, directing city funds to fund abortion funds. But she also sent out an Instagram poll this last week asking people how they felt about Roe v. Wade, you know, if they supported it or not. And that felt very uh like a betrayal to me like it's like are you really just checking the temperature because you want to do what's popular or because you actually believe what you believe because if you want to do the temperature check why why do a poll on instagram if you're anticipating this national abortion ban are you actually going to keep chicago safe haven or are you going to comply with national legal laws Mm -hmm. because 
laws are there, laws are in place, does not mean we have to follow them. We have to we have to do what's right. We have to do what's right for the health of our community. Sometimes abortions are required for the health of the mother or the health of the parent. You know, right? Are we are we willing to cross that line when 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 the right pulls it across where we are? Are we willing to do that? Yeah, <laughs> and I guess just kind of wanting to sum up everything as well. Like, how should people in our community support your work and others like alike? I think that everyone needs to start making more friends with the people that they live right next to. Mm-hmm. I think people really need to start building community in a very deep and authentic way because we really only have each other. We are a collective. We are an organization of, of people in the city of very different experiences on different various parts of the city. But the more we get to know each other, the more we have honest conversations about the, the ways in we all navigate the world differently the more that we can come together to actualize our power with each other. Um, if you're interested in following me on Instagram, I'm We Worship On. I am launching a political campaign in the next week, so I look forward to coming back here to talk to you guys about that once I do launch. But um, I'm very happy to talk with you guys today. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, and I mean, we're not completely okay, done. <laughs> but it's all good. Um, so I guess my other question would be, like, in what ways can people actually participate mm-hmm. and what access of resources do they have? So um, if you have money, uh, start a monthly donation to an abortion fund. If you have time, see if you can sign up for our volunteers. A lot of these organizations are overwhelmed with the number of people signing up. Uh, People want to feel good about themselves right now. Uh, If you can do it this month, do it next month, do it in October, do it in November, do it in six months from now, Mm -hmm. because people fall off. People get discouraged. People feel like, well, I did what I needed for myself to feel good about it. That's not enough. You have to do what's good for other people all the time, every day, because we live in a collective society and people are at their limits, people are traumatized, people are navigating this really bleak world, but we have to keep each other in high spirits if we wanna if we wanna actually keep this fight going. And I guess my final question, <laughs> now totally final, um, what do you think the future holds for reproductive rights and sexual wellness in the UN, U- United States? Um, I think it's a storm. I think storms always end. Mm-hmm. It's just the, the how long and how many people weather the storm is entirely up to us. It was a pleasure having you. Yeah, thank you so much. You. Yeah, and we'll be right back. Um, just stay tuned and we'll be right back. Hello, you are listening to WLPN LP Chicago 105.5 FM Lumpen Radio broadcasting live from Studio B. On today's show, Your Body, Your Way, we've talked about the overturning of Roe v. Wade and its impact. We've gotten some perspective from people from Chicago, a youth, and a reproductive rights activist. And next up, we're talking to reproductive justice activist Diana Ariano Gonzalez. My name's Kayla. And my name's Yola. It's like full name's Joloxi. I'm Diana um, Arellano Gonzalez. I use she, a, your pronouns. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She, her, and she, her, too. Yeah. 
Could you tell us a little bit about your experience as a reproductive rights activist, as well as your work and volunteer experiences in health services? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, so I've been doing this work in reproductive health and rights for the past 10 years. And it started with me um, working at the Londo Christian Health Center, which is in North Lawndale, really close to Little Village or Borders Little Village. And um, I was doing pregnancy test counseling and I was supporting people with their options when they had a, a positive pregnancy test, even though it did not align with the health center's values because they're a Christian health center. But I had to do my due diligence in making sure that they knew that they had options. And then I went on to intern at the Illinois Caucus for Adolescent Health and Planned Parenthood. And then I worked at Planned Parenthood. Um, I was on the board of the Chicago Abortion Fund for five years. And now I'm working for a national organization where we fund people's abortion um, or abortions. And it's been a really beautiful, wild ride. It's it's um, especially, you know, I was born and raised in Little Village. I was born in a very strict Catholic household. And so, like, talking about abortion was something we just didn't do in the house. Um, and I knew family friends who had gotten pregnant at a young age and their parents made them continue their pregnancy. And so I kind of just grew up around that. So I wasn't really familiar with reproductive rights or health until after college. I, and that's when I was like, this is what I want to do. What does it mean to be a reproductive activist to you and who and what has your inspiration to keep going with your activism? What it means to me, I think it means making sure that people are able to make the decisions that they want to make in their life and people respecting that and people honoring that. And I've drawn a lot of experience and, and just inspiration from Black women who coined the term reproductive justice in Chicago. Um, first had that conversation in Egypt, but yes, it was so many Black women who really were at the forefront in making sure that reproductive rights also included talking about economic status, um, race, a bunch of other factors. And so... Uh, it was also the people that I've worked with, and they continue to inspire me every day. Um, the activists in Mexico who are relentless on making sure that abortion is liberated in states across the country. Um, in Argentina, activists there, the Zapatistas. Yeah, there's just like a huge force of people making sure that people can do what they choose to with their bodies. And also, especially, you know, being first-gen Mexican, we don't have these conversations ever. Growing up, it was like, it, it almost felt like pregnancy was a disease that you can catch, right? Like, at any moment, you could get pregnant. And it was, like, considered a really awful thing in my household. And so um, I didn't know about options. I went to a high school. I went to Whitney Young, which is considered like a liberal school. And we went through an abstinence program and they had a sign, a promise 
form. Yeah, I know. And they had to sign this form. And so, and, and the sex ed we did get was really like fear-based. It was very like, you know, it's a gym teacher that doesn't want to give sex ed to high schoolers. Right. And so, um, yeah, I just grew up with like so much misinformation, a lot of fear, and I don't want other people to feel that way, especially young people. And when I worked at Planned Parenthood, um, we actually did an event with Yolokali. It was called, I think it was like the Valentine's condom party at the um, National Museum of Mexican Art. And just like letting people know like, hey, you got these options, you can use them. Um, if you have any questions, let's talk about it. Cause I think the best way for people to make decisions about what they need in their life is to know everything that's available for them. Do you think we've had advanced or gone back in time with teaching young people in like everywhere about reproductive or about their options? I don't know. Did you all feel like it was very like fear-based and they emphasized a lot on like the STDs? Did you feel that way? Yeah. It just felt like if you had sex, you were going to get an STD. And that's what I equated it with. So I was like, oh, you know, whereas like, I think so much work has to go into a like, just giving young people information. And and also, right, like, including LGBTQIA options, and, you know, dental dams, um, the internal condom, talking about just different options people can do. Um, and so to answer your question, Yolo, I don't, I don't know if we've gone backwards. I feel like in some states like Texas, they they're always passing some kind of law to go backwards. But in terms of sex ed, it seems like there's still so much work to do. For pe- for young people to make an informed decision of whether they're ready to have sex or not, it's okay if you choose abstinence, but not because you're scared, right? Like you wanna make the decision because it feels right for you. And following into the next question, you have served and worked abroad and have those experiences shaped who you are today and where have you traveled to? Yeah, I have worked, let me see, I haven't worked abroad, but I did do an internship on women's health in India. So I studied abroad there and that was really cool, but also very interesting in terms of like gender dynamics. So I wasn't allowed to go out um, and have conversations with women in the villages because only the men were allowed to do that in, in my group. So I had to find my own time to try to talk to women around what their issues were around reproductive health. Yeah, in Ecuador, this was all during college. So in Ecuador, we were at a clinic, um, also supporting a clinic there in a rural area. And in the UK, I learned about their healthcare system. They have a universal healthcare system. So that was really, really awesome. And and in Peru, um, as a part of my job at Planned Parenthood, we went to a conference. It was an international conference um, around reproductive health and rights. And I think what really got me into reproductive health and reproductive rights was a conference in Malaysia um, that was called Women Deliver. That was back in, I don't know, probably 2018, no, sorry, 2012. And that was the first time I heard people talk about adolescent reproductive rights. And I was like, that's what I want to do. 
I want I want young people to feel good about their bodies and their decisions. And then, yeah, I could talk about other countries that travel to, but those were specifically to reproductive rights and health. Adding on to what you've talked about, your past job was at Planned Parenthood. Could you tell us a bit about what you did there? Yeah, I was the manager of community engagement. And so my job was to make all the connections I could in Chicago and also in Illinois. So we were attending a lot of health fairs. Um, We were going, I, I just wanted to, and I was also teaching sex ed. So any kind of youth group that there was, I was like, can we get in there and talk about sex? So we were going to libraries We're going to Curie High School. Um, We were doing a bunch. We were doing health fairs in Gage Park and Back of the Yards. Um, Yeah, it was kind of like people would just call us and like, we need someone desperately to talk to our young people because, you know, there was a lot of information online and it helps to just get factual information that's not stigmatized. And, um, yeah, so that was my favorite thing. And honestly, the Yolo Cali Valentine's Day party was one of my favorites. And, and that's what I was like, oh, this is what I really love to do. And I think also one of my favorite parts of the job was like talking to senoras about the internal condom and, and different condom options and hearing them say like, oh no, I don't need a condom. This factory shut down, basically saying that they're not making, they're not going to have kids anymore. So they don't have such like any more sexual health. Um, and so just talking to them and having those conversations and, you know, inquiring why and just being really curious. Um, but yeah, we had a team of people and then we started doing the Affordable Care Act across Illinois and also working to destigmatize abortion. So I was training staff on Um, making sure that our own language wasn't further stigmatizing abortion and how to support people that were were seeking abortion care. And how do you see the needs of Black, Indigenous, people of color communities in regards to sexual education and reproductive health? Our communities, BIPOC communities, are the ones that are most affected by any kind of, like, legislator that is around limiting access to abortion and also access to reproductive health and information. And and also people that are struggling financially, undocumented people, trans and non-binary people. Um, We see a lot of language around, you know, now that Roe has been overturned, a lot of people are like, oh man, the women's issue, it's a women's issue, but it's actually, it's everyone's issue because we know that non-binary people and trans people have the capacity to get pregnant and they don't identify as women. So that kind of erasure is violent and we we need to also incorporate like survivors who end up getting pregnant by their abuser. And so there's just like so much. And we know that the majority of people that get abortions are below the the federal poverty line and also the majority of people that get abortions already have kids and so there's just like all of these things that are happening and um when when people are forced to continue their pregnancies and have kids where they don't have the means um 
it, it just adds on so much stress and so many other barriers in life. So you kind of touched up on this, but what are your thoughts on the recent overturning of Roe v. Wade? My thoughts are that the law is never going to protect us. We've learned this a lot from Mexican activists in Mexico who have been working to liberate abortion for decades. And, you know, we have this conversation with other activists and we talk about how comfortable we got because we're like, oh, we have Roe. That's going to protect us. And now we're like, oh, we have this state law like Illinois. Illinois is protected. Um, but that still can change. And so we can't depend on the law to save us. And we also like how I feel about it is that people are going to get criminalized and people have been getting criminalized. Right. Like even two years ago, a native woman was sentenced to four years in prison because she had a miscarriage and the doctors reported her at the hospital and many other people. And and that's just going to continue happening. And that was before Roe. So can you imagine people who are having miscarriages are getting in prison? We, We heard about this in El Salvador when it was called Las 17. It was like 17 women that were sentenced to prison for life because they had a miscarriage. And we're like, we like distanced ourselves so much from that. We're like, oh, that'll never happen in the U.S. And look at what's happening. And so I think where I'm at is like, where can we learn from other movements, other global movements that have done this, um, other movements that have been criminalized, like undocumented folks, sex workers, um, abolitionists, like where, where can we learn? We need to like study and build a lot of solidarity. We have so much work to do. And it, and also, for example, in Illinois, are you, are you all familiar with CPCs? Like, um, what are they called? Um, they're like fake abortion clinics. Yes. Okay. So in Illinois, which is a pretty liberal state, it's protected. It's like, you know, they say it's an island in the Midwest where a lot of people go and seek abortion. There's seven... Ab- fake abortion clinics to every one real abortion clinic. So that's like a seven to one ratio. And these clinics, clinics, they're, they're just like little edificios. They're just buildings. They have so much money. And so when you look up abortion in Chicago, they're the first thing to come up. So people click on that, on the first thing that they see and they get people to make an appointment because you think what you're, what you're going to is to get an appointment for an abortion. So what they do is you think you're in the space, they give you an ultrasound. And what we found is that they also lie about how many weeks people are far along in their pregnancy. So say, for example, if I'm six weeks pregnant, they might say, oh, you're eight weeks pregnant or 10 weeks pregnant. So that'll deter me from wanting to have an abortion or to continue my decision of having an abortion. And they'll, they'll like really, really try to pressure people into continuing their pregnancy. And so the Illinois Caucus for Adolescent Health does incredible work around calling those places out. And they've even put up like signs in the buses and the CTA and yeah. And you would, and you don't think that that happens because it's Illinois, but 
seven places to one real clinic is absurd. And um, people are getting people, anti-choice activists. I don't even want to call them activists. um, Anti-choice folks have a history of being violent. They've bombed abortion clinics. They've murdered abortion providers. And these are the same people that say that they want to protect life, but on their terms. And so we just have to like stay vigilant and, and just, I have to continue reminding myself, this is a marathon and there's so much more work to do. That's insane about the fake abortion clinics. Like I didn't know too much about that. And I just learned so much from that. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. And um, kind of following into what we just touched up on about for Black and um, Indigenous communities, LGBTQ communities um, as a whole also, like what are the socioeconomic impacts as well of this decision for low-income communities? That's a really great question. And I think it, the answer is that it severely impacts them because having a child very, very expensive now that we're seeing even baby formula shortages. Um, Diapers are expensive. Like raising a kid is very expensive. And like I said before, the majority of people that get abortions already have kids. And so I've talked to people on a hotline and they say, I want to have this baby, but I can't afford it. And to be put into that position where you want to ha- continue your pregnancy, but you have to think about, you know, the lack of funds in your life is so incredibly hard. And so that's just like a lot of stress. Um, it's, you know, and yeah, it's just, it significantly impacts our people and BIPOC folks, um, LGBTQIA, especially because so many trans and non-binary people are erased from the conversation in terms of even seeking care too, to get like what they need. Um, yeah, so it, it's just, it impacts them incredibly more. So now that you've touched up on the LGBTQI plus community, how will this impact the LGBTQI plus community, like the overturning of Roe v. Wade? A, a lot of laws don't recognize people's capacity for pregnancy. So they'll always say women in the legislature and in the legislation. And again, yeah, there's just a lot of erasure. And and I've heard stories from people, trans people who have gone to abortion clinics, who I won't name, but they've gone to abortion clinics and the abortion, like the staff there won't believe that they need an abortion. So they think it's like a joke or they're like, no, there's no way that you're pregnant. Um, Simply from like reading them. And that is so dangerous for you to try to seek out care and then have staff say, no, no, no. Like, you know, you have to leave because this is a joke. Um, And so, yeah, there's so much work has to go into clinics, expanding their care, training their staff, um, and us also making sure that when we talk about abortion, 
we're using the word people. And then if someone's like, oh, but it, well, you mean women, right? And you're like, no, people, because it includes trans folks, it includes non-binary folks, it includes like gender fluid folks. And so I think on an interpersonal level, we can do a lot to just change that conversation and just make sure like, oh yeah, people, pregnant people. Adding on to that, so with Illinois being an island state, how will it be impacted due to the recent overturning? So I'm still in contact with Chicago Abortion Fund. They're really awesome. I hope you all get to get involved at whatever level you feel comfortable with. But um, they are, so what they do is they provide funding for people who need abortions, right? So anyone in Chicago, anyone in, in Illinois, and also anyone coming into Chicago, right now they're funding over 90% of people from out of state, so 10% of those folks are from Chicago or Illinois, but 90% of them are now from out of state. And those numbers are wild. Um, I'm based in Brooklyn and here they're also seeing similar things. They're funding over 80% of people flying into New York to, to get an abortion. And, and it's wild because we have People from the South um, and also the Midwest have no other option but to go to Illinois to get the care they need because so many other Midwestern states have bans and um, different trigger laws. And so, yeah, they need a lot of support. They need a lot of money. And, um, yeah, and, you know, one thing that the Chicago Abortion Fund also does is they logistically help people with their abortion. So people that are flying in need somewhere to stay. People that are flying in might also have kids and they need childcare. And so they support them with like getting what they need um, so that they can go to their abortion appointment easily. And how can people support the Chicago Abortion Fund um, gathering funds or how the like personal social media and fundraising campaigns work? Yeah, you can support the Chicago Abortion Fund by, like, if you want to make a fundraiser, that'd be cool. Um, That's also a really fun way for people to, like, get involved and understand what abortion is. And and also for people to know how dire the situation is. Like, I threw a fundraiser here in Brooklyn, and a lot of, we had someone from um, the New York Abortion Access Fund talk talk about their, they answer calls on a hotline. So they were talking about their week at the hotline and how hard it was getting calls from people who needed money. And people came up to me afterwards and they're like, I had no idea it was this bad. And I was like, yeah, it's, it's been this bad. It's been this bad for states in the South, like Mississippi, who only has one abortion clinic for the entire state, for Alabama and Texas. It's a mess. People can sue Regular people can sue people for helping their friend get an abortion. So if someone texts someone, if your friend, like if Yolo's like, hey, Kayla, um, do you know this, uh, like an abortion clinic I can go to? You're like, yeah, there's one right here by my house or something. And, and Kayla, then you tell your friend like, oh yeah, I helped Yolo with you know this information. And your friend is secretly anti-choice they can file a civil suit against you. Things are so wild in Texas. That's insane. It is. 
And um, yeah, so just like, and I think any kind of creative strategy, I always recommend people have those conversations one-to-one. It took me eight years of constant conversations with my mom for her to finally, finally be okay about talking about abortion, you know? And for me, that's a huge win because then she talks to her friends and we know how the Senora Network goes, you know? Like if one finds something out, then they tell their friends and they tell their children. And so I don't take that lightly is the conversations that we have with each other. Um, but also I would recommend like getting involved with the Illinois Caucus of Adolescent Health. Um, see how you can get involved with the Chicago Abortion Fund. And Yorokali is so creative that I feel like you all can come up with some like dope messaging around around reproductive rights and, and abortion rights. What do you think the future holds for reproductive rights in the United States? <laughs> That's a big question. Um, it's so hard to predict, but my hope is that I would love to see a world where abortion isn't an issue, where it's a healthcare, it's a healthcare service, just like so many others. And people aren't judged for making that decision. Um, people can get an abortion easily and I would also love for there to be comprehensive sexual health education in all schools. And um, yeah, I just really wanna see a world where people are informed and not judging people. But yeah, this is a really long fight for us. And I, I really have to, we just have to learn from other movements and build solidarity with them. And that actually closes out um, our interview for today. So thank you so much. I appreciated everything. You are so cool. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Yolo and Kayla. All right. That was reproductive justice activist Diana Arellano Gonzalez. Thank you for listening to our show, Your Body, Your Way, on the overturning of Roe v. Wade. This is Isha, Melissa, Kayla, and Yolo. And we hope you enjoyed our interviews. Remember, you're listening to 105.5 FM Lumpen Radio, What's Up? And that's the conclusion of our program. Brought to you by the fine folks at... Oh, not you again. No! And hey, yo, who let her back in? <laughs> and that's a wrap. We hope you enjoyed whatever it is you just heard, heartwarming interviews, tear-jerking stories, magnificent music, and the sound of our voices. Because God knows that this is the best content on the airwaves. Don't forget to follow YOLO on all their social medias at YOLO Kali. And you can find all our audio content on SoundCloud, MixCloud, and Apple Podcasts. We bougie like that. Well, that's it. Bye. See you next Saturday from 12 to 2 p.m. for another episode of What's Up? What's Up? What's up?